Welcome to episode six of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim, Head Ninja at Exposure Ninja, and in this episode, I'm joined with Lawrence Newton, Facebook Ad Ninja at Exposure Ninja, and we're talking about bounce rate. Bounce rate is one of the most important metrics that any website owner should be monitoring because it's an indication of the quality of the traffic coming to your website and also the experience of that traffic once it lands on your website. So we're gonna be talking about exactly what is bounce rate, what a bounce is. We're gonna be talking about what to do if you have a high bounce rate and how you can get people to stay on your website and engage with it longer. Remember that if you think your website might be underperforming or you want someone to take a look and see where the low hanging fruit is, then you can head over to exposureninja.com forward slash review and we will conduct a completely free review and analysis of your website and digital marketing. It's the world's most useful free review. Without further ado, let's get started. Okay, so today's episode, we are talking about bounce rate. Why is my bounce rate so high and what do I do to keep people on my website longer? So the first thing is that people normally assume that all website visitors are, are pretty equal. When someone visits, they might or they might not buy, but pretty much everyone is, you know, has an equal shot at purchasing, right? Maybe not so much. Website owners are often shocked to find out that a fairly significant portion of the traffic hits the site and bounces from their website. So that's what we're talking about today. The first thing we want to do is just kind of, you know, make sure everyone's on the same page. So, Tim, can you just kind of define bounce rate for everybody so that we know what we're talking about today? Great pun, Loz. On the same page. We're six episodes <laughs> in and we're cracking out the jokes. So bounce rate, yeah, really important. Google defines bounce rate as the percentage of single page sessions. So that's someone coming onto your site, just checking out one page. They don't interact with any other pages. They don't go any deeper into your site and then they leave. So that's a bounce. And the bounce rate is the percentage of people that do that versus people that stick around and check out loads of different pages and interact with your site. Okay, cool. So yeah, so if somebody leaves the website straight away, a lot of people at that point tend to kind of put some kind of spin on, on why that might be. Now, there's kind of a lot of different reasons why somebody might bounce, isn't there? So what are the sort of typical reasons why you might see a high bounce rate? There's broadly two categories of things that cause a high bounce rate and cause people not to stick around on the page. It's either bad traffic or bad website. Now that's kind of a really simplistic overview, but but those are the two things. So it can be that the traffic that's coming to your website isn't qualified. So it's landing on your site and it's finding something which is different to what it was expecting. So it leaves. It can even be traffic that's coming to your site is finding exactly what it's expecting and it's leaving. So you imagine that I go onto Google and I type in weather in Nottingham and I click on the first search result and it shows me what the weather is going to be in Nottingham. I find what I need and I leave, right? So that's a bounce. So traffic can cause a bounce, but also the website itself. So let's say that I'm on mobile, for example, and I click on an ad from Facebook and it takes me to their website and the website's not mobile friendly. I'm going to leave. I'm not even going to bother checking it out. Or let's say that there's something broken about the site, like it takes ages to load. Again, I'm not going to wait 10 seconds for a site to load. I'm just going to leave. So typically it's either traffic or the website itself. And we'll look at that in a bit more detail. 
Okay, cool. So, so yeah, like you say, if somebody kind of has a, a broken website experience or, or they can't find what they're looking for on your site, they might leave. You did also mention that you know the example of somebody that's you know, for example, looking for uh, weather in, uh, information. They go onto the website, they get that information, and then they leave. From the customer's point of view, I would have said that you know they've had a perfectly happy experience with your website. Is a bounce rate in that kind of situation necessarily a, a bad thing and something we should avoid or you know, is that just kind of how the website works? High bounce rate isn't necessarily a bad thing. It tends to be a bad thing if you're not getting the results that you want from your website. So let's say that I'm an e-commerce shop and I have a high bounce rate. Well, it's not people landing on my product, finding out all the information that they need to about my products and then leaving. That's not a good result for me. That's a terrible result for me. So if you're running a weather website and all you care about is just showing someone a page of information about the weather, then yes, having a high bounce rate might not be a particular issue. For the example of the weather site, if they're ad-driven, for example, let's say that they monetize their site by showing ads, even so, having a high bounce rate might not be a really good thing for them because they'd want to get their page views up. They'd want people to see and click on the ads. So what they might want to do is think about how they can, even though someone's come on and they've got the information that they need, how can they keep that person engaged? So can they offer some kind of weather update service or is there an app that someone can download? You know, what could they do to try and keep people on that um, on that page a bit longer? So bounce rate's not always a bad thing, but typically it is. Typically, there's missed opportunity. Another example, which I'm sure we'll talk about later on, is if you've got a blog which is picking up a lot of traffic organically. It's got some really useful pages, really useful information. If people are landing on the blog posts and they're reading all about the information they needed to find and they're happy and they're satisfied and then they leave, that's not necessarily a bad result, but it is. there's untapped potential there. There's low-hanging fruit there because you've had someone on your site, they've been on, it's like someone walking into the front of the shop, looking at the thing that they came to look for and then leaving. Maybe we could do something else with them. So if they're interested in this topic, obviously that topic is something to do with your business. If they're interested in the topic and they're already on your site, can we offer them something which captures their name and email address and that allows you to start a relationship with them which could turn into a purchase later on so yeah not always bad but typically it's an indication of low-hanging fruit yeah that's a very good point actually because we have already talked about on the podcast already having call to actions on on pages and also lead generation on on pages as well and that would be kind of a perfect example wouldn't it maybe they've got the information that 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 person came onto the website for but from our purpose as the website owner maybe there's there's more that we would like to get out of that customer so yeah maybe go back and listen to the episodes on uh, call to actions and, and lead generation to to get some ideas on on how you could be improving that Yeah, right. There's always an ulterior motive, right? We're not just writing blog posts because we want people to be happy and get the information that they need. We're writing blog posts because we want to use those blog posts as like a spider's web to trap people on our site so they buy from us. (laughs) Being completely honest, that's the whole, you know, that's the thing. So if they're just coming on and taking the stuff and not getting, you know, it's like the bee coming and getting all the nectar or whatever and then leaving without any pollen on its feet. Well, that's a terrible result for the flower because the flower is just going to keep pumping out this nectar and, and, you know, not spread its seeds. So so we do we definitely need to make sure that we're, we're grabbing people when they come onto our site. So, yeah, there's a couple more technical questions that we should probably get out of the way before we get too stuck in. Uh, so how would somebody go about finding their bounce rate if they wanted to check the bounce rate for their own website? 
Most of the time it's in Google Analytics. If you go into Google Analytics, which I hope everyone has set up, and then they click on audience and then overview, you can see a quick average bounce rate. Um, you can go into a bit more detail though, and it's, it's quite often useful to go into a bit more detail. Rather than just viewing your bounce rate as one number for the whole site, it's quite interesting to see your bounce rate according to different traffic sources. So you can go under acquisition and then channels and you can see how people are finding the site and you can see the bounce rate for each of your different acquisition channels. That's really important because it can show you, it can give you an indication of the quality of the traffic coming from each source. Yeah. You can also see bounce rate according to the device that people are visiting. So under, I think it's under audience and then uh, mobile, you can see relative bounce rate on mobile and desktop and you'll always see a difference there. Desktop traffic always tends to bounce lower and mobile traffic always tends to bounce higher. Um, or you can see bounce rate according to different pages as well. So that's useful if you notice that you've got a lot of traffic coming into a particular page, but that traffic's not really doing anything. So you can see, well, here are the pages which are getting a lot of visits. They also have a high bounce rate. So I know that this is where I need to focus on. I like that you mentioned about traffic source as well. That's quite interesting because, yeah, you might have, for example, paid traffic and you might have organic traffic and you might have paid traffic from two different paid sources, you know, Facebook and and AdWords being the two kind of primary ones. And obviously, you know, you might be basing your your business decisions on the cost per click. Well, you know, AdWords, for example, is bringing in cheaper traffic for my website. And then you actually look at your bounce rate and you find, well, my my bounce rate for AdWords is double what it is for Facebook. So then maybe that kind of changes your that, that business decision for you. So it could be quite an important metric for basing some business decisions on, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You're probably going to see a lower a lower bounce rate on AdWords than you will on Facebook because Facebook traffic always bounces crazy high. But that is true. You, you want to look at things like conversions and, and ROI for for those paid traffic sources too. But certainly, if we need to look at a, a site's AdWords performance, for example, and we don't have access to the AdWords account. Well, if we can see that the ads are getting like a 90% bounce rate, we know that something's going wrong with those ads. We know that that traffic is not particularly well targeted. So it could be that they need to focus their AdWords traffic a bit more. It could be that AdWords is not a good market for them, or it could just be that the website's a horrendous mess. So Yeah, or it could be setting the wrong expectations, couldn't it, between the advert and then the actual experience on the landing page. So if they're sort of talking about different topics. Yeah, to, to an extent, that is essentially what a bounce is, isn't it? It's I'm getting something which I wasn't expecting. Either it's not the right topic, it doesn't look good, or it's too slow or whatever. But I had expectations that weren't immediately met by this page. So it, it's a bounce. That's that's a pretty good definition there. Cool. So we, so everybody's probably at this point in the podcast, probably paused for a couple of minutes and found their own bounce rate. So uh, I know the question that is going to be on everybody's mind next, what is a good bounce rate? You know, they're probably looking at this stat on their screen right now. What, tell them if this is good or not. Yeah. So most site owners, when they first see bounce rate, they're mortified that like half of their traffic is immediately leaving their website without doing anything. What what's a good bounce rate or what's a typical bounce rate depends on a few different things. So we've spoken about where your audience is coming from. So if, if you're getting a lot of traffic from organic search results, right? Organic search results 
organic, uh, sorry, organic search traffic tends to have the lowest bounce rate because it's high quality traffic. Your website is showing because it's relevant for that search. Google's established the relevance. So Google's already done a bit of the filtering for you. So like you said, that when your expectations are met, Google's pretty good at serving up people websites which meet their expectations. So anytime you're getting traffic from organic, it tends to have a, a reasonably good bounce rate. By a reasonably good bounce rate, for organic traffic, um, we normally mean 30 to 34% on desktop. For mobile, it could be slightly higher, it could be 50%. Uh, so if you're getting predominantly organic traffic to your site, then a bounce rate of between 40 and 50% isn't anything to be uh, anything to be sniffed at. If you, on the other hand, you've got a uh, you've got a site which gets a lot of traffic from social media or you've got a site which generates a lot of your traffic from blog posts ranking well, then you might see a bounce rate of 60 to 70%. Again, this is going to be absolutely mortifying for people if they see that almost three quarters of their site visitors are leaving without checking out any other pages. But um, it's just a function of, you know, social media traffic bounces high. If you imagine typical visitor on Facebook, look at how many, just stand over someone's shoulder and watch them use the app. There's a couple of things you'll notice. You'll notice that they're flicking around on lots of different content. Their attention spans ridiculously short. And when they go through the Facebook mobile browser onto a website, it's almost like the main call to action on that page is the back button, back to Facebook, that big arrow in the top left-hand corner. Facebook wants to keep you on the platform. So that back button is always there. Um, I don't know about you, but I've often wanted to go back a page on a website. And because I'm in the Facebook browser, I've just clicked on the back thing. And rather than taking me back a page, it's just taken me back into Facebook. So I expect that we'll get a lot of accidental bounces from Facebook mobile traffic as well. So if you're getting a lot of traffic from, from Facebook mobile, then it's going to be really difficult to keep your bounce rate underneath 50%. So typical bounce rate, if you're a ballpark you know, new business or your service website or an e-commerce ballpark 40% to 50% is okay. Um, if you're getting a lot of social traffic, 60 to 70%, anything higher than 70%, no, really no matter what sort of traffic source you've got, that to me indicates that there's potentially an issue. Anything over 80%, there's definitely an issue because even, you know, organic blog traffic or Facebook blog traffic shouldn't be bouncing at 80%. That tells me that there's nothing compelling on those pages that people are landing on, which is keeping them onto the site. So they're just leaving. Okay. Uh, one, one point I just wanted to pick up on, uh, you mentioned kind of the difference between desktop traffic and mobile traffic. And you mentioned that mobile is probably going to be a bit higher. Is is this sort of down to mobile optimization not being up to scratch or, or just kind of the different kind of experiences of, of those people using those devices? So, you know, is this something that we should be trying to optimize for and improve or is it something that we should just accept? I think it's definitely something we should optimize and improve. I think think that there was a, some recent news about Google and, and the fact that Google is going to be running a couple of different indexes, one that's targeted at mobile and one that's targeted at desktop, and that mobile is going to become the primary index. So there's going to be two versions of Google, one for mobile, one for desktop, and Google has decided that the mobile one is going to be the primary one. Well, that's really significant because although we've all got used to the fact that we tend to get more than 50% of our traffic from mobile. It's still thought of by a lot of people as a kind of secondary device, right? So I might I might just play around on my phone, but if I want to do something serious, I'm going to go onto my desktop. 
Well, I think we're starting to see a switch here where I don't know about you, but personally, if I'm booking a holiday or I'm booking flights or anything, I used to go onto my desktop. I don't even bother now. I'm just perfectly happy doing it on the phone. And that seems to be a, a, a larger and larger trend. A byproduct of that is that I think we're going to start to see websites designed mobile first. So actually, what does the user experience need to be on mobile? And then how can we present this in the desktop version? And that'll be the secondary thought, which I think is going to be quite interesting because still, I I don't know any web design companies really that are designing mobile first. It's always desktop first. And when we're designing for clients, they always want to see the desktop one. They spend ages looking at the desktop one. And, you know, while we design what it's going to look like on mobile, they're not really too interested in that. They just want to see the pretty desktop one. So I think we'll start to see, uh, we'll start to see more of a focus there. I mean, there's just some really basic things that you can do to improve mobile usability. Things like having a menu which follows people down the page, because if you're reading a massive page on a mobile device, you don't want to have to scroll all the way to the top to see a CTA, right? You just want to see that menu there the whole time. Thinking about how the menu and the navigation works on mobile, really important. I think we'll also start to see condensed text. So whereas on a desktop site, you might be all right having a thousand words on a page because there's a sidebar which has the call to action in. On a mobile, that starts to get really tough because you get these massive impenetrable blocks of text and people just don't have, for whatever reason, their behavior on a mobile is totally different. They don't spend a lot of time reading. So it might be that we move to a version of the web which has shorter shorter body copy, much more kind of bullet points. And then the the CTAs are embedded within the text rather than having them on a a separate sidebar. So I I think it could be really interesting. And I I don't think we're anywhere close to, to where the web is going with its response to mobile. Yeah, I don't know if I'm sold on that idea of yeah reducing the, the amount of content. It kind of sounds to me like the, the dumbing down of the internet, but I don't know if that's just me being a bit pessimistic there. <laughs> well, maybe, I don't know, maybe if you, if you watch someone on, on mobile, though, the user patterns are completely different. They're just, they're skimming around there. They seem to be much lazier, I guess, because they don't see an overview of the page as much as a desktop visitor does. But maybe someone will come up with a with a really elegant way of presenting lots of text so that it's not too intimidating. It feels like something that a device manufacturer could get its teeth into. So Google or Apple could figure out a way to display a lot of text in a, in a really nice, easy to use way on mobile, maybe. Or maybe it's something that as web designers, we've got to figure out for people. Yeah, I mean, uh, you mentioned obviously as well, like putting call to actions in, in the page as well. I can, I can definitely give you one example of how it should not be done. I was on the Guardian website, mobile website, and at the top of the page, they've got obviously their, their floating menu. So, you know, that's a thumbs up. And then at the bottom of the page, they've got a CTA, which also follows you down the page, which means that there's literally a third of the screen for me to actually read this article. So, yeah, that's that's definitely not the way it should be done. But um, another thing we'll, you'll often see is the, the cookie text as well. Yeah. The massive cookie menu that takes up half of the page. And just I think the cookie law is that the, that the consent is implied anyway. So I don't think it's even necessarily required that you, people have the text. We certainly don't use it for any of our sites. We've never had any any troubles with it. But, I, I, you know, I just wish people would get rid of it because everybody knows that you're going to have cookies, right? It's just like a given of the Internet. It's like air or water it's just... yeah such a stupid law definitely <laughs> that's that's another episode maybe we should start a petition to get rid of cookie text around the world 
Yeah, I think so. Definitely. So, yeah, let's get back to talking about bounce rate then. So we've, we've already kind of covered some of the reasons why it might be OK to have a high bounce rate, things like Facebook traffic or blog posts and that kind of thing. We might expect to see a, a, a higher bounce rate there. Um, what are some of the things that we should be looking out for on the website and what are some of the things that we should be doing to make sure the website doesn't have a high bounce rate that's actually bad? Yeah, most of the time when people have a high bounce rate, it's not because of some, you know, totally legitimate reason. It's because something is broken or something is not working as well as it could. The most common one is, is site speed. Slow loading just kills bounce rate, particularly on mobile. People just, they just don't wait. So if you have a bounce rate of 60%, typically there's something about speed that's a bit of an issue. We, we noticed this with, with one of our e-commerce clients that are they had a pretty weird server setup configuration that meant that their their site was loading pretty slowly and just speeding up the site using, you know, they had a server guy come in and, and sort out their server and just doing that increased their conversion significantly. And it's just, it's so simple, but it's also so common. Yeah, there's never any situation in which a, a, a slow loading website is a, is a good thing. It's certainly so. It's always something to improve, isn't it? Exactly. And well, I mean, one of the most annoying things about site speed is that it's often not the site owner's fault that the site is loading slowly. Let's say that they've they've done it accidentally, right? So adding things like remarketing tags and um, even Google Analytics tags and, and all these different tags can slow the, the site load down you got to order those properly and, and that's a bit bit technical we're not going to get into that but yeah just just generally keeping the site speed nice and snappy is, is a good idea another reason that sites can have a high bounce rate is layout and, and the kind of look and feel so there was a a kind of a quote by i think a guy who worked from google who summarized bounce rate as i came i puked i left so people reacting poorly to what is presented to them because it looks disgusting or it you know it looks strange or it's it's not meeting their expectations that's a pretty common one and that's why we'll often see that a rebuilding of a site improves the bounce rate because this site no longer looks really out of date and old fashioned it looks clean it looks nice it looks pleasant and it looks like somewhere that your eyes actually want to spend time looking at mobile friendliness is obviously an important one as well if the site's not mobile friendly you know bounce rate is going to be massive on mobile and then uh, finally a lack of a clear compelling headline or visual cues about who the website's for so in the last podcast episode we looked at five questions your homepage needs to answer if your if your website is not answering those questions and not just on your homepage but pretty much on every page of the site then that can also increase your bounce rate as well. Because if, if someone's unsure about something, you hope that they would click through and they would find the information that they need. But most often they won't even bother with that. They'll just leave because there's other sites on Google which are clearly relevant and do a much better job of, of selling. So yeah, the, the, those are some of the reasons that bounce rate might be high that are actually preventable. Okay, cool. Um, well, yeah, one one point that I just wanted to raise in regards to uh, both site speed and mobile friendliness. I was reading a report the other day. One of the reasons why Google decided to have a big push on making sure that mobile friendliness is included in the search results was a search factor is because Google accidentally increased the load times by 0.2 seconds for mobile redirects. So it took 0.2 of a second longer for people to get onto a, onto a website. A fifth of a second 
apparently caused enough of a spike in the bounce rate that, that Google realized that this was an issue and that was one of the things that spurred them to actually have this big push on mobile. Wow. Um, so, so that's the kind of times that we're talking about here, like 0.2 of a second is enough to, to have a noticeable spike if you've got the kind of data pool that, that Google works with, apparently. Yeah, totally. There's some really interesting studies around what happens when people are, you add time to any action that people have. So, you know, there's a there's a threshold where if I click on something, I expect to see a reaction. Well, there's a threshold where that delay becomes totally unacceptable to me and I'm, I'm not going to stay. The, there's some case studies in, in our book, How to Get to the Top of Google, about that. That's not, that's not a subtle plug for the book or anything, but there really is some case studies that Miley Oye from Google uh, mentioned how different delays in, in load speed affect e-commerce conversion rates and, and the money that can be made. And it, yeah, you're right. It's just, it's small little things, but multiplied up over lots of visitors over a large period of time it's real business results. And, you know, the difference between a site that loads in three seconds and 15 seconds is the difference between a site that works for the business and a site which is just totally useless. It's really that significant. Okay, cool. Got another um, yeah piece of technical information that we wanted to cover as well. Obviously, you know, we've, we've mentioned that you want to be checking out your analytics data in order to check your bounce rate and that kind of thing. Um, a lot, it's quite easy to set up analytics incorrectly so that you you end up with a with a broken with a broken bounce rate, but unreliable data there. Could you explain sort of you know how how you would go about kind of diagnosing something like that? Yeah, normally when people come to us and say, "Hey, my bounce rate's ten percent, awesome, right?" And you're like, nah, <laughs> that's that's not set up properly. Any typically a bounce rate of anything on anything under twenty percent, I'm immediate. In fact, anything under twenty five percent, I'm immediately suspicious that there's an error. There's quite a few different ways that um, analytics code can be broken. So it can be installed in the footer, you know, and then it doesn't load until you know last thing. It can be it can have conflicts with other other plugins. It, some people install analytics code twice, or they'll install one analytics ID in a plugin, and then they'll still install one as a piece of code. And you know, you end up with all these conflicts, and it it basically means that what you're seeing is is inaccurate in analytics. So there's something called the Google Tag Assistant, which is a Chrome extension. It looks at all of the Google tags on a particular page and lets you know if everything's working properly. So really useful if you're using Tag Manager or using Analytics Code or using Remarketing or whatever, just to click the little button and it gives you a little smiley face if everything's working properly. If it's not working properly, it'll normally tell you why as well. So really important. That's Google Tag Assistant. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I know a couple of analytics pages that I've seen have analytics data that, that spikes between 100% and 0% as well. Is, is there a specific reason for that? Obviously, I mean, obviously that's broken, but... It could be broken. The other thing that it could be is that they're getting a lot of referral or bot traffic. People all know that there's lots and lots of different robots that crawl the internet. Some of them are good, friendly robots like Google robots looking at what content is on a page. And some of them are evil, nasty robots looking for content to scrape. And these bots don't behave like humans. Sometimes they're picked up by analytics. Sometimes they're not. And the ones that aren't typically have a 100% bounce rate or a 0% bounce rate. But 100% bounce rate or 0% bounce rate also, yep, uh, you're completely right, symptomatic of analytics code that hasn't been properly installed. And it's usually that, to be fair. 
Okay, cool. So is there something that you should be doing if you're getting lots of bot traffic or is it just something you have to accept as well? No, there are bot filters in analytics, which allow you to filter out the bot traffic. They're not 100% reliable though. So it's it's a tough one because the bots always change. There's no proven way of filtering out all bot traffic. There's always going to be some of it because you can't always identify and it can get pretty technical as well if, you, if you're adding these custom filters. So normally people are just better off kind of, okay, I know that there's going to be bot traffic in there. I know that some of it's going to be zero, some of it's going to be a hundred. If you're really, really keen on filtering out the bot traffic, then let us know, email me tim at ninja.com and we can get some filters set up for you. But otherwise you're just going to have to accept that you're going to be getting some bot traffic. Everyone is, even if you've got filters set up, there's always going to be bot traffic, but... Have a, have a look at the Google filters. If you're going to use bot traffic filters in Google Analytics, then make sure that you've got it set up as a new view so that you know what the impact of adding that filter is so you can compare the two. I don't want to get too technical because it's a podcast and people are like at the gym or driving or whatever and I don't want to send them to sleep because they might get injured. But yeah, if you want any more info, then then just give us a shout. <laughs> okay, no, that's fair enough. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask another follow-up technical question, but yeah, maybe I'll save that for after we've finished recording. And on next week's episode, we'll learn how to code. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, anyway, we need to go for a quick ad break, so we're just going to play some lovely music now. Uh, when we come back after that, we're going to look at some techniques to reduce bounce rate. Interested in learning more about digital marketing and want to access the latest ninja strategies? The Exposure Ninja blog is where we share some of our coolest stuff. So if you want to see behind the scenes of some real-life marketing campaigns, find out what's working for us on the front line and keep up to date with the latest in digital marketing, head over to ExposureNinja.com forward slash blog. We update it regularly, at least twice a week. So if you want to learn more about websites, SEO, pay-per-click, social, Facebook ads, or anything else digital marketing, then head over and subscribe at ExposureNinja.com forward slash blog. Right, we're back after the ad break, and we're going to be looking at a few specific things that you can be improving about your website in order to reduce bounce rate. The first thing is website usability. So there's a whole bunch of things you want to be improving about how people interact with your website in order to yeah, reduce the chances of them bouncing. So do you want to get us started with some site usability tips, Tim? Yeah, the first thing is just to imagine that people have their fingers or their mouses their mice hovering over the back button at all times. So if they're unsure about anything or they're turned off by anything at all, they're just gone. So that's what that's the kind of frame of mind that we've got to get into when we're thinking about how people are using our site. The kind of guiding principle is that we want to get people to the information that they need as quickly as possible. Not only do we want to get them there as quickly as possible, we want to remove as much of the mental strain on them to get them there. So we don't want to have to force them to decide between 25 different options. We want to give them as few different options as possible and make them as brainless as we possibly can. So it's not just about reducing the number of clicks, it's also about reducing the mental load of each click as well. Yeah. So for example, if you've got, you know, a, a navigation menu and it's got, you know, five different types of, uh, you know, bathroom tile and they're all sort of anodized or, or glazed or whatever. And you're like, well, I don't actually know which ones, which ones are these categories that I'm interested in. So although they might have, you know, had a, had a wonderful menu that means you can access the information easily, if you can't understand that menu, then it's not particularly helpful, I suppose. 
Yeah, totally. The other classic problem with menus, and I was reviewing a site this week uh, selling electrical engineering equipment. I hope, I hope John, if you're listening, mate, sorry, I had to bring it up. Um, but there's, <laughs> he's an e-commerce site and along the, t- the top menu, there's 15 different product categories. And each of these product categories is, it's not, you know, it's not home, garden, whatever it is. These are product category names that are five, six, seven words long. So you look at this navigation section and it's like a, it's like a word soup, right? It's so intimidating. I'm reminded by, I don't know if you know, but if you've experienced it, but when you, when you ring up someone, when you ring up a, a, a you know, a corporate and, and you get into their phone system and, it, you know, press one for whatever, press two for whatever. If that press one for something, press two for press three, press four, press five, plus six, after you've had about four, you start to forget what the first option was, right? And you end up having to go through again because either they're not giving you a clear enough definition between each option or just because there are so many that you forget what you've already heard. And it's exactly the same for website menus. So if, you, if you're asking people to choose between 15 different options for which menu heading they're going to click on, the first thing is if they spend a second reading and understanding each of these menu sections, you're asking them to spend 15 seconds just looking at your menu, right? Which let sure. me tell you now, it's not going to happen. They're going to give you a few seconds at most. So if you look at someone like Tesco or John Lewis, you'll see how they set up their menu and every menu click that they're asking you to make is completely brainless. So let's say that I need to buy some chicken, right? Organic chicken, let's say, because I love the world. And uh, my my top menu says home, garden, food and groceries, you know, sports equipment, whatever, right? Food and groceries, easy, easy choice for me to make. So that opens another menu area that says, you know, frozen, uh, fresh fruit and veg, um, for the cupboard, drinks, uh, meat, dairy. Okay, well, meat, that's an easy thing. You know, it's an easy click for me to make. It's so intuitive. And then another one opens that says chicken. And, you know, it's it's really easy to for me to find, even from a large catalogue of products. It's so simple for me to find what I need because each choice is really easy to make. Yeah, this this menu thing, you know, if, if people can't be bothered to look through your menu or they just, they actually don't know because like you said, they don't know what they're looking for. There's no help there. Then again, that just, that can be a real killer for bounce rate because they just, they don't spend the time researching. There are other too many other choices, you know, they'll just go to Amazon where they know how to find what they need. A couple of pitfalls that I just thought about while you were meant talking about the menus there. Obviously, we've all seen quite a lot of websites where, you know, you, you, choose, you, you have a top level menu, you click on that, and then that takes you to a page which has, you know, a sub menu within it. Rather than having an Uber menu, you've got, you know, landing pages within pages and that kind of thing. Presumably, that would reduce bounce rate in the sense that somebody's clicked something and then done something. But from my experience, that's not particularly a good thing. So I guess would that show up somewhere else or or is this just a, a, a way to reduce bounce rate that doesn't actually help your website? Yeah, that's an example of just viewing reduction of bounce rate as the goal rather than, hey, my goal is to make money for my website. So you might reduce your bounce rate by forcing people to go to another page and then choose another option and, you know, taking them through that. But the other thing to consider there is that every time you're sending someone to a new page rather than just having a drop down menu, you're adding the page load speed in, you're adding 
Is this page meeting their expectations? You know, let's say that you lose 30% of people on every page load. If you force someone to go through three different page loads, you've lost 0.3 times 0.3, no, 0.7 times 0.7 times 0.7. That's the number of people that you've got, you know, whatever, I can't do the maths in my head, but you've lost you've lost some people by forcing them to go through page loads. So yeah, like Uber menu is good because it means that people can, if I'm going to have to open one page, then best that it's the page which lists my product rather than forcing me to go through some convoluted system. Definitely. So I suppose what we've done there is we've identified another example where you might be happy with a slightly higher bounce rate by introducing an Uber menu. You're getting people to the information that they want or you're getting people to leave. Like one of those two things is happening rather than just, you know, having all these clicks in between and then they leave at some later point, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to get fancy, if you're really panicking and sweating because you've got a high bounce rate because your your site uses an Uber menu, then, you know, just you can install an event in Google Analytics, which is a click on the menu system and then it will, it will we won't show as a bounce. But anyway, that's that's bordering on the technical stuff as well. <laughs> no, that's cool. Uh, and one other pitfall that I wonder if people might fall into, you, you're probably familiar with the term Wikipedia rabbit hole. Oh, yeah <laughs> so you go on a wikipedia page you then you know you start reading about some random topic and then you, you go oh that sounds interesting and you start opening up more and more tabs and you're going deeper and deeper into wikipedia now presumably i would imagine that wikipedia's bounce rate is super super low because of that obviously you know if they can distract you with some more content then then that's great for their bounce rate i wonder whether or not that's something that you could use as a as a strategy so if you could be distracting people with hey check out this new post hey check out this new thing or if or if again that is another sort of pitfall that people should avoid with bounce with when they're trying to reduce bounce rate that's a really good point i actually think wikipedia's bounce rate would probably be quite high because i would have thought that it, the, the information on each page is so complete that unless they got rabbit hold they would find the information they need any that'd be really interesting to see wouldn't it yeah i'd love to get the stats to someone something like that maybe because it's open source they'll they'll a wikipedia if you're if you're listening then invite google analytics access to analytics 7 at explosioninja.com and we'll do your free website review yeah but the, the the point you make is absolutely spot on that having what we call internal links within the content of a page is a really good idea particularly if you've got a high bouncing blog. If someone's reading a blog post about a particular topic and the, and you mention a service or a product that you offer, you really need a link to that product or that service from inside the blog page because what you're looking to do with your blog is you're looking to funnel people who are potential customers through to the money pages on your site. So if you've got an internal link and you say red shoes and then it's a link to your red shoes page, that that's how you kind of rabbit hole people back into into your site, which is really where you want them to be. And that's why you made the blog in the first place. So th those sorts of internal links are really, really, really important. Again, if we're talking about what's happening on mobile, if someone's reading, let's say that they'll give us, they'll read 500 words of page on a mobile website page, right? Let's say that they'll, they'll read 500. So what we need to make sure that we're giving them in those first 500 words, we need to make sure that we're giving them lots of different options of stuff to click on or stuff to tap on if they want to find out more information. So those internal links are absolutely crucial. Okay, cool. So, um, yeah, I was just trying to think about, you know, going back to my example of the tiles guy, I wonder if, you know, if on his website, he's got in these 
these technical pages, things like, you know, matte tiles and, and shiny tiles and anodized tiles and whatever else it might be. One one thing that he could do is, you know, at the bottom of the page, you could have something along the lines of not quite what you were looking for. Maybe try out these categories instead kind of thing. Yeah. So that's going to get people on to, to, to look at another page of the website rather than just say the information that I wanted isn't here and then leave a space yeah exactly if i was a tile sales- salesman i'd be hitting you up right now because i'm guessing that you've been buying some tiles um, <laughs> this, this always seems to put on the podcast i talk about all the, my <laughs> experiences we're gonna get people writing in asking you house how the house mine. how the house doing up is going and hopefully that tile company has done user testing on their website and they've identified that a percentage of the audience doesn't really know what they're looking for or they've looked at analytics and they've realized that people are kind of flicking around from page to page and not really spending any significant time and then leaving. In that case, what I'd probably do is you, you can have a timed pop-up which showed on the page. So let's say that someone's been spending 20 seconds on a particular page and they haven't scrolled anywhere. Well, they're probably looking around trying to find the right option and they can't find it. So at that, at that time, you might have a pop-up which says, you're not sure what you're looking for. You know, here's our tile buyers, our new tile buyers guide, or they might have a live chat um, on the site which pops up in the corner it says hey if there's anything that we can do to help you out if you're not sure what you're looking for just let us know you know someone's here to help so there are definitely ways of of getting around that and I think that's a really good opportunity in a market to establish yourself as a as a winner there because if you can identify that your audience has a hard time buying what you sell then you know the buyer's guides and the tile chooser software all of that is potentially really appealing bait to get people to buy from you rather than your competitors who are just giving them this massive catalog of products that they have no idea about that they don't understand they don't know what they're looking for and and you know everywhere else they're being forced to choose between a bunch of different options which to them look exactly the same whereas you're kind of guiding them through the process and and helping them out a bit so that's a a really potentially a strong usp and something that would also massively decrease bounce rate definitely yeah i can see the value of that i want i want to find the website that does that because i haven't found it so far ninjatiles.com give us a month (laughs) right okay so we've talked about website usability how to find the right information that kind of thing we've also got down here you could be reducing your bounce rate uh, by clarifying your message and value proposition Uh, so what what does that mean we said that people will bounce if it doesn't meet their expectations or if they don't know if it meets their expectations and they can't be bothered. So a, a clear headline on the page, just telling people who are you, why, you know, who are you for and why are you better than your competitors? Just just do that and, and you know, you'll, you'll see your bounce rate go down. Any page that's ambiguous, people are really brutal. They won't even give it the time of day. So just be super clear. And like we said on, uh, on, a, on a previous episode about your the cues that you use to tell people what you're about and who you're for they don't have to be you know it doesn't have to be text doesn't have to be a headline it can be in the images that you use so if someone sees a picture of somebody who is like them or like they want to be then again that'll reduce bounce rate because they'll give your page some time and they'll check you out um, whereas if I'm, you know, let's say I'm looking for a, an implant dentist, I think we used that in a previous example, and I'm and I'm old and I go on an implant dentist site and I can't see where the dentist is based. All the pictures of people look really generic and stock photo-y and everybody's like 25 years old. Well, I might just think, okay, do you know what? This isn't for me. I'm going to go and find someone else who's more for me. So just kind of uh, making sure that exactly what you're offering is 
and, and you're calling it out to, to your perfect target customer. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I guess that comes back back to sort of if you don't see the information that you're looking for, then you're just going to leave and find it somewhere else, aren't you? So, uh, and then the the last thing that we've got here, um, specific tip to reduce bounce rate: give visitors a clear next step. So, yeah, this sounds this sounds great. So, talking about what should somebody do next? What, yeah, I mean, what kind of what kind of things could could we include as a next step for a website? So every page on your site has a has a goal, right? Every single page has a goal. Even the privacy policy, what's the goal of that page? Well, it's to convince someone to do business with us because we're legit, right? So if whether it's a, a blog post, a, the goal of a blog post is to funnel someone to a product or service which is relevant to the topic in the blog post. If it's a service page, what's the goal? Well, the goal is to get someone to get a free consultation or to, you know, book a free whatever. If it's a product page, obviously the goal is to, to, to buy something if we know that every page on the site has a goal and every single page has a goal we need to make sure that that goal is really prominent really visible so just like people will leave if they don't know if the page is relevant for them they'll also leave if they don't know what they're supposed to do so if you have a product i was reviewing a site um another site this week that had product um product pages an e-commerce site had product pages but the buy buttons were way below the fold like not just oh you scroll down and it's there but like way below the fold so it kind of looked like this was just an informational catalog about these products which is just absolutely nuts because that's gonna it's gonna have math and it had a massive bounce rate because people aren't even going to clock that I can buy this product here it's like oh this is a useful page from the manufacturer about this product well you know that's you're not here to give information you're not you're not paying your hosting fees and you're not paying web design fees just to give people free information you you're, you're doing that stuff to make them buy so let's sell it to them let's not make them hunt around for it so making sure that every single page on your goal has on your site has a goal making sure that goal is ridiculously visible and that it can't be missed another reason why embedding calls to action inside um, inside the the copy of a page can be a good idea when when you've got mobile traffic because if you have a call to action at the end of a 2000 word blog post well your mobile visitors aren't going to get there they're never going to see that cta so what's the point well <laughs> the whole thing's pointless if they don't get to the cta so um yeah just just kind of being mindful i guess that's a that's a kind of layout thing but it's also a um a, a content thing and a and a strategy thing as well i suppose i mean one thing i, I remember seeing recently you can you can do those heat maps can't you of a, a scroll heat map how far people get down the page Yes. Um, and then obviously what you can do with that is you can make sure that your CTA is at the point where people tend to, to leave. So so you go, well, 80% of my people leave halfway down. So that's where I'm putting my CTA because I want to capture those people. Yeah, totally. I mean, CTAs typically should go above the fold. But yeah, you're right. I mean, in a longer post, you might have multiple CTAs and that's absolutely fine uh, because, you know, you're going to have people who are leaving at different points when they get bored or if they if it cuts off on their device or whatever. So, yeah, there's a there's a scrolling depth plugin that you can get for analytics or there's various different uh, different heat map softwares that you can use as well. We 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 love um, visual website optimizer shows where people are clicking on a on a page and it's really really intuitive it's 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 so useful and really interesting to see what people click on they often click on stuff which isn't even a link or isn't anything but they just click on it because it should be a link but anyway that's for another time
one last question is wanted to ask so we we mentioned earlier sort of people that are you know looking for the weather or something like that where you know the the page provides some information and then they leave as we mentioned at the time you know that's not the the website operator's goal is it so just want to make sure we're kind of clear the website owner in that situation that what would their goal be for a page like that so would that just be to include a cta at the bottom of that page or or would they be doing anything else in terms of sort of reducing the bounds something like that what would a a next step be for somebody on a a weather website i suppose yeah it's it's, it is it is a tough one because for a lot of websites like that what they're providing is is a total commodity right weather information a lot of times now google will just show that in search results directly anyway so it won't even bother sending people to the site there are sites out there that have historically made a living from just having a you know sharing information and then they get enough traffic that they have enough ad views that they can they can make some money through ads but even so you know ad funded websites well, let's think about newspaper sites, right? So something like Daily Mail does a really, really good job of reducing bounce rate because if you think about a site like the Daily Mail, it's very similar to a site like the weather site that we're talking about because if you own a Daily Mail, that's another topic, um, but if you if you run a site like the Daily Mail, you're going to be getting a load of traffic that's come to read one specific article and then they're going to leave. So if you're going to make any money from ads, you need to keep people on that site much, much longer. So what I'd be doing if I was running a weather site, I'd be looking at the Daily Mail and saying, okay, that right-hand column that they've got, which shows all those other articles and it goes all the way down the page, why have they got that? Well, they've got that to try and distract me. They know that I'm going to get bored of the article that I'm reading and I'm going to go and click on one of these other ones. So that's going to do two things. It's going to reduce bounce rate. It's going to keep the people on the site longer and get my page views up so that I make more money from ads. So if I'm showing people the weather, what else could I show them on that page while they're there looking at the weather, which might be of interest to them? So can I show them the weather in other areas? Can I give them a link to my weather app, right? Oh, you, you know, you like the presentation of this weather, or maybe you want to download our app and get updates, or maybe you want to get notified if it's going to rain, or, you know, what what else can we do? What's the kind of added value thing there? It's a kind of business question as well as a, as a bounce rate question, but there has to be a way to keep people on those pages longer, and whether it's related information or just something quirky or even just you can get things like outbrain which show related interesting articles which have general appeal so maybe there's something like that that we could use to keep people there but we've got to do something to keep people on that site so that's everything in regards to bounce rate podcast uh, so we've covered you know the technical stuff what is a bounce rate and how to view your bounce rate for your website then we talked a little bit about some of the reasons why it might be okay to have a high bounce rate and uh, some of the times in which you should be a bit more careful and maybe look into this if you have got a high bounce rate then we gave some specific examples as well some in- some examples that you can use to reduce the bounce rate for your website I hope you found this information useful. If you have and if you've enjoyed the podcast, then please do leave us a review over on iTunes or or wherever else it is that you might have found this podcast. And uh, obviously as well, if you're stuck and you want some some further help with this, then uh, a great way to do that might be to request the free website review from Exposure Ninja. Just go on to ExposureNinja.com and you can request your website review from there and we can have a look at your bounce rate for you.
Ever wondered what Exposure Ninja would do if we were marketing your business? Well, now you can find out completely free. As a thank you for listening to the podcast, we'd like to offer you a free review of your website and digital marketing, complete with a tailored plan that we'll put together for you to increase the visibility of your website and the sales that it generates. You can follow the plan yourself, or if you're interested in finding out how to become a client of ours, we can talk about that, but there's no obligation to do so. This review and plan is completely free of charge. We'll even show you what your competitors are doing, so you can copy the good bits and exploit the bad bits. All you need to do is fill in a short questionnaire about your site's performance and your goals. Your review and plan will then be emailed over to you within a couple of days. Go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review to request your review and plan today.